Good morning. How's everybody going? Good, good, good. Thank you, band. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. You know, last year was hilarious. Uh, just a quick check-in with the ladies. Do you remember the little plants we bought last year? Uh, who enjoyed those? Because uh, we're going to do them again. Because I remember last year there was some left over. I'm like, hey, if there's some left over, go and grab them. And every woman in the church ran at the end of the service uh, into the foyer. Uh, so we ordered more. Um, so come and get ready to be blessed. I'm really excited uh, to be honoring uh, the women and the mothers of our church. Um, I tell you what, I loved also the coronation last night. Who, who enjoyed how Christ-centered it was, hey? Um, and why can't they sing in English? Like, give me something to, give me something to vibe with. Like, like, I understood nothing the whole time. It was like opera. Though, mind you, I've been walking around the house. Uh, trying to pull some of that off. Um, we got a message this morning uh, that sits in my heart, but I wanted to welcome our church has grown by two little people uh, recently. Lockie and Tegan could be anywhere in the room. They may be, oh, they're in the parent room. We have Seb and Ava, two little twins arrived. Why don't we welcome them? Congratulate the crew. I went out there, saw them, and then looked at Deacon. That, that man is a giant. He is a giant of a man. So um, it's just fantastic to see our church growing. The more babies, the happier the marriage is. Clearly, we're doing well uh, as a community. And the amount of baby dedications that we have to do. But who here agrees with me? Uh, as a parent, if you do not yet have a child, you have been one because you're alive. Who agrees that kids equal more mess? You know, I don't know what it is, but April is a very clean and a very tidy person. For some reason, this supernatural fatigue comes upon me. The moment I take my clothes off, I just can't get the coat hanger. They have to reach to the floor. Are there any other people that are like that uh, in the room? I have a floor drobe uh, that about once a, once a, a month, I have to, the conviction of the pile um, I begin to think I've lost the child. They're under the pile has fallen over. Um, but April is the opposite. She's always tidy. And in fact, it, it's, it's hilarious when April will have a day where she sort of likes to set it apart for cleaning. Who are those people in the room? They go, oh, I'm going to hit the whole house. You know, what a horrible thing to do. Um, and, and then the kids get home and, and it's like there is a storm of activity. And, you know, they're, they're, my kids leave socks in random places. It's like they take them off and stuff them into the couch. Uh, and jumpers are everywhere. And April says, it was clean until you got home. Has anybody ever said that? It was pretty much saying, oh, I can keep it tidy because there's no one in the house. That's why it's tidy. Did anybody ever grow up with a parent or, or parents that had that room at the front of the house that you weren't allowed to go into? Yep, it might be an Italian thing. I'm feeling like all the, not to these other people, but all the ethnics went up straight away. There was this room in the front of my house that I wasn't even allowed to walk through. The only time we got to use that room was Christmas Day. And it was like, why? Because my parents wanted a space in the house that was clean, that was available if drop-ins would come uh, or if it was people we didn't know that well. My dad is a minister, so there was often people coming and you knew that if they were coming for a specific reason, they ended up in that room. You know, in that room where it's like you would open it up and everything was clean. But why was it clean? Because there was no one in there. 
No people generally equal no mess. You know, I thought that I would never be that way, but every now and then I fight with the thought it would be easier if no one spent any time in this building during the week. You know why? It would stay clean. We wouldn't have to repaint the walls. There wouldn't be random stains that just appear. You all really mess up the chairs. Like, I mean, you mess them up. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but you're not sitting still. But what happens is where there is life, there is often mess. If you look at Proverbs chapter 14, verses 4, I want to read you this scripture. It highlights it uh, quite, quite well. It says this, Where there is no oxen, a manger is empty. That makes sense, doesn't it? No life, it's empty. There's no mess because there's nothing going on. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant Harvest. The scripture, if you have a big ox, it's going to make a big mess. But the potential chance of fruitfulness means that it is worth the mess. You know, the concept when I looked at a commentary, there was something that jumped out at me. It said, you want to foster the culture of a farmer, not a curator. You want to look for mess and you want to, you want to, the mess means that there is a potential chance at a harvest. At growth, I would prefer have a messy life that's fruitful than nothing going on at all and no evidence of any growth, any fruitfulness, anything coming forward for the kingdom of God. Does everybody agree that that's the case? I would prefer. Now, there are some people that go, I like it clean. I'm not raising my hand. Now, the analogy that I want to bring today is that mess really is to do with awkward, difficult, challenging situations that we actually all like to avoid. It, to be honest, nobody likes to feel or be messy. And if you look at our society as a whole, our society, our culture, our communities are actually, they're in a mess. I looked at the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the, uh, the um, stats that came out in July last year, were actually quite alarming to me. Uh, Christianity has decreased by more than a million people in Australia. Other religions are on the increase. Uh, though Christianity is still the most common, there is now almost 10 million Australians report having no religion at all. Now, when you look at the foundation of our society being bought, uh, born and built on Christian values. It begins to alarm me when you look at the news. I don't know if anybody watches the news. I get grieved by seeing things. In Melbourne's West this week, 50 people met to brutally beat one another to try and sort something out. That's not, that's not a Christian culture. There was car abductions. All these things that are making the news are a cry of a community that is a mess. You know, four in 10 Australians right now, their financial state. Now, we know that that's not to blame for everybody, but there are financial messes that are going on in people's worlds. There are many, many challenges. They're talking about the increase of divorce among marriages. And instead of creating aspects of saving the marriage, our culture is going how we can build you once you just don't care and you throw your marriage away. 
It's messy. Now, there is circumstances. There is difficulties. There is always different angles and different perspectives. And, and, and we don't know everything, but I know what God wants for our community. He wants the community to be made whole through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the answer to the mess. Dealing with hard attitudes. It's messy. Seeing people discipled. Helping the lost and the broken. Messy. Dealing with yourself. Do you know that Christians are just as messy? We're just better at hiding it. Messy. But my whole purpose today is to encourage you not to avoid mess. Don't just look at scenarios and situations and go, well, that's too messy. I don't know if I want to deal with that. I believe that if we become a people that serve God and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, He will draw us into messy situations so that good fruit can come from it. There are advantages to knowing Jesus. Our community is lost. Our community, if you look at people in our society, we've I've already said violence is not the answer. Your career is not the answer. Having a partner is not the answer. There are people that are in this society, in our community right now, that are struggling with mental health, that are struggling with answers. Now, even as a Christian, I'm not saying that we are immune to suffering from these things. But where the world has no hope, and an individual without Christ would sit there and go, if I can't do this in my strength, I'm lost. I have no hope. But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the benefit of a relationship with Jesus is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because Galatians 5.25 says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Because I'm not lost. I'll tell you why I can never be lost. Because I'm not leading. I'm following. I can ask the Holy Spirit to help. I can ask the Holy Spirit to come into situations and help me. So therefore, where the world is lost, because of Jesus, I am found. And because of the Holy Spirit, I can have guidance when I don't know the answers. Our community does not have that, but we have Jesus. Where our community is lost, we have been found through a relationship with Christ. There are people in our community that feel defeated. However, as a Christian, we know that in John 16, it says this, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. As a Christian, we can understand that in this world, we will have trouble. You'll get sick. You'll lose jobs. You'll have fights. But we have Christ with us in all circumstance. Christ is with us from a worldly perspective Things may be going pear-shaped, but if you have Jesus, you don't lose. 
You know, I once heard described to me a great example of uh, in life, the, the world, we're, we're on a plane and, and some people uh, have chosen that it's first class, you know, and they've got the air conditioning and they've got the food and they've got the eating and they persecute you because the only thing that you cling to is the parachute. But what happens is that when the plane begins to go down or when things begin to go wrong, you're the only one clinging to something that has the power to save. We have Jesus. He has overcome the world. So we'll have trouble, but we have Jesus. Therefore, as a Christian, we never lose hope. The world may be defeated, but we, through Christ, have won. Our community wants to be better. If you look at statistics, self-improvement is a huge market. Gymnasiums fill because people want to be better. Education happens because people want to be better. People are investing and training because they want to be better. But you know what happens is all of those lead down a road that is empty. But as a Christian, we are improving because we are becoming more like Jesus. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new with Jesus. And the lead of the Holy Spirit, you begin to become who you were created to be. So when I look at our community, they're lost, they're broken, they're disappointed. We have Jesus. He is actually the hope of the world you know we have the ability to have resilience because that resilience is linked to faith and trust in the purpose and will of God so if you know Jesus as I do I pondered when I thought about the scenario of the community outside of these walls the scenario of the community in these walls I know Jesus but what am I going to do about it what am I going to do about it? I went on a train a few months back with my kids. We were coming back from the football uh, and there were drunk people. Now they were happy drunk people, but my inclination is obviously to protect. So you try to remove yourself from that scenario. Now there's an application of wisdom, absolutely. Let's not, let's not run with a, with a concept here. Always apply wisdom. Always be led by the Spirit. But in that moment, I could sense... Drunk, but safe, happy. So where the whole train was ignoring a scenario of people, I sat there in a safe scenario, wisdom, but not isolating or avoiding these people because Christ died for them. And I was able to have conversations with my children about the wisdom in the circumstance, but also the love for people. That needs to happen. Mess is not comfortable. Mess is awkward. What about that person that, that has got such a worldly, woke perspective that you actually grieve having conversations with them? Jesus died for them. Family members, we find it easy to love the lost in that scenario. Even colleagues you have an appreciation for because of relationship, but there are people in the world that need us, that are lost and broken and messy. 
And I would prefer have a messy church that is fruitful than have a clean, squeaky clean, no one feels uncomfortable church. No ox, no mess. Big oxen, great harvest. We've got to be willing to accept mess. We've got to be willing to be able to love people through it. So today I want to talk about things that I had to address in my heart that I feel are important that we need to address so that we can reach out in the right manner. Because genuinely, if I was to ask you all right now, uh, who believes that uh, they want to see their neighbor saved? Absolutely. Everyone put their hand up. And then I was to say, now who's actually making an effort to do something? Because there are some things that just make life messy. It's easier to worry about yourself. It's easier to focus on what you have. But I would challenge and ask you this week as I have continued to, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to reach out? How do you want me to be active? How do I get ready? So one of the things that I believe we all struggle with is that where there is mess, things feel out of control. We've got to let go of control. You know, I am, and I, I wouldn't actually mind uh, asking this question. Uh, who here in this room, if you are in a, a marriage or a partnership, has one consistent driver? Generally, when you're together, there's one person that drives. Give me a wave if that's, if that's you know, whenever I'm with April, most of the time it's me. I am the driver. I like to set the tone. I like to pick the lane. I go the same way every time, just in case you know, I don't like variety. Give me the same way every time. Same way, same lane, that's me. And every now and then, and those people that raise their hand is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. April drives and I'm in the passenger seat and I feel out of control. I'm doing the brake in the passenger seat. You're checking the blind spots aggressively. You're telling them, are you checking your speed? And why aren't you in that lane? Can I get an amen from those drivers that normally do it? It just can't help it. And I'm not going to say I'm a better driver than April because she's not here. We're at home with a, a baby that's not well. But I feel like I enjoy it better when I'm in control. Because we like to be in control. We, in fact, as human nature, I stipulate that we actually have trouble yielding our control. I want to do things my way. I want to go with the conviction. And we have these battles all the time. You feel the Holy Spirit saying, talk to the person. And you're like, I don't want to. Am I wrong? Am I, am, I, am I inaccurate? I don't think so. You know, as we stand up here, I plan to be a pastor of a community that is genuine and is honest. I struggle uh, with being obedient. Because I like to be in control. But I must admit that there is something about yielding control. When we were driving back from Queensland, uh, it's quite a long drive. And we were pulling a caravan. uh, And there was a one-hour spurt where we were 200 k's on the same road. And April actually drove. And for me, it actually had restorative properties. I, I get in the lane, head in the right direction. 
and in actually yielding control and actually giving trust, I was able to rest. It was restorative. Because we're actually, as Christians, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are actually not supposed to be the drivers for our life. We are actually not in the captain's seat. We actually are to submit and lay down our lives to the will of God. It says this in Mark 8, 34 and 35. It says, Then he called the crowd to him with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be saved or whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. The first concept here is that you've got to let go of your own will and purpose and say, Jesus, I will follow yours. But it's a yielding. And it can't be done in a half-hearted manner. Because Jesus said, must deny themselves and take up their cross. In that context, that made sense. In our context, in hindsight, we know what the cross is. But really, in our context, it would be like saying this. If you're going to follow me, you must be willing to go to the electric chair for me. Because that's what the cross was. What he's saying is, give up your plans and have a wholehearted, full commitment for what I'm calling and asking you to do. A yielding of your plan and a submission and obedience to His. To give up your own way involves letting Jesus determine your goals and your purpose. To follow Jesus. I may have my plans and my desires, but I fully commit to follow what he calls me to do. Control is a natural thing. But I give my control and I yield my life to Jesus. Why? Because the scripture tells me if I want to hold on to my life, I can, but I'll lose it. Because Jesus is looking for all in commitment to the people that follow him. And he's already said it needs to be all in, even to death. So therefore, if you go, Jesus, I'm going to give you this little bit, but I'm keeping this for myself, my career, my family. That girlfriend or boyfriend that you shouldn't be in relationship with, I'm trying not to look at that section, just don't want him to feel like, like I shouldn't. But think about it. It's an all-in commitment. But you can gain everything if you yield. So why I say that is life is messy. Jesus may ask you to do things that you don't want to do because they're complicated. But it's not about how you feel. It's okay if you go, hey, I don't really want to, but I'm going to because I will be obedient. Because I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to yield my way. I'm going to submit and I'm going to follow you because I understand that the following part means that I don't set the direction. I don't set the course. So yielding control, I believe that's one thing. You know another thing we struggle with? 
messy situations aren't prestigious. They're not. And we all like to feel inspiring. We all like to feel like we are having incredible input. So then when you're in the mess of something that no one else wants to be involved with, it's not that prestigious. We all need to let it go. I, I, totally, I totally understand uh, th- that. And he, here is an example in my life of equivalent service to God. When we were on the long service leave, I had the opportunity to go and speak in another church, um, which, was, which was awesome. April and I felt that would be cool. We'll go and we'll connect. And it was beautiful. The church was so honoring right down to Lila. You know, they took us out for lunch. They, they were just beautiful. Same as our community, just really honoring. And it drew something out of my heart because I'm like, wow, you are, you are so honoring. You know, and then in that moment, you, you feel like, wow, I'm making an impact uh, for the kingdom and, and I feel honored. And then later that day, when we were on holidays and I'm serving my family and loving my family, which is just as important to kingdom, I realized that I actually found an element of camping I don't like. I had to empty the toilet canister. Now, I had to pull that thing out and at some point fluid went onto my hand and I was processing out loud, is that urine? I look up at April, she's smiling. Good job, honey. That same day, I went from feeling honoured to emptying a toilet canister. Both of them are serving my family. But I naturally like the one where people are like, you're amazing. I don't like the one where I'm like, whose wee is that? Because we like to be honoured. We like to feel like we're making a difference. But if I really want to make a difference... I want to follow the example of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 25, it says this, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as ransom for many. It's two concepts there that I believe we can outwork in our life. The first one is we need to avoid comparison. Okay, don't worry about prestige. Don't compare. Well, at Christmas uh, this year, we had a massive pinata, and my brother or my sister, one of them, bought it. And Lila comes back to me with this huge, huge bag of lollies. Now, you know, at Christmas time, there's an abundance of deliciousness. Does everybody agree? So I'm trying to limit the amount of it coming into our house. I said, you don't need that huge bag. Pick a few that you want. And do you know what Lila said? But everybody else's bag was that big. Comparison. But as her father, I said, I'm not interested in you comparing with everybody else. I'm interested with you and the outcome for you. I don't want that in the house. It's not healthy. And what happens with messy circumstance is we go in there and we go, how come I'm not called 
to the preaching, I'm called to what feels metaphorically like the emptying of the toilet. Don't compare. Don't compare. Jesus says to his disciples, if you look at the Gentiles, they're lording it over them, but not so with you. He then goes on to say, look at what I did. I didn't come to be served, and he's the king of the universe, but to serve. Serving is not about looking good. It's about trying to be like Jesus. It's about trying to follow the example of our hero. So in removing prestige, don't compare. The second thing I believe is that we need to know what the father wants. As a young man, once again, same thing. I remember we used to go to parties or events and if ever there was a table spread, uh, I was a young man and still am. I, I, if I was not a pastor, I could have gone pro as a speed eater. I, am, I, am, I can put it away quickly. And I remember my dad had to educate me, slow down at the party. Because I would be like, you know how at a party, the, the right thing to do is you go and you put a little bit on your plate and you walk away. <clears throat> I used to just stand at the table and eat. Because then you didn't have to walk away, you didn't need a plate. But what would happen is as I grew, as I got older, there was something in the back of my head, in the back of my mind where I'd hear my dad's voice. That's not what you do as my child. That's not what you do as a chrysopulli. Back away, think of others. Jesus is setting the tone. The world are going to do it one way and we're going to do it different. But sometimes the mess and the awkwardness, if I was to be honest, we just can't be bothered with because there's no perceived outcome for us. You know, at least if I'm honoured or get, get, get uh, you know, some bit of the credit, do something, it's okay. Jesus, he came to serve and not to serve. We need to follow his lead. And finally, discipline. It takes discipline to deal with mess. Who agrees? It takes discipline. It takes discipline to deal with your own mess. As we continue to grow and mature and become more like Jesus. It takes discipline to involve yourself in scenarios that God is calling you to. Even though you don't want to. But it isn't about your will. Because as I said in the first point, you lay down your will and your plans. You deny self and you wholeheartedly follow Jesus. I remember about a month or two ago, I, I about five years ago built this little shed in the backyard. And I did an all right job. I didn't seal it. And I remember years ago I opened it and there was a red back hanging on the door. So I closed the shed. And I didn't re-enter the shed for about another two or three years. And recently I was like, this is an absolute waste of space. We actually need that room. But I don't want to, I don't want to occupy that space. You know, I mean, 
I will kill the spiders in our household, but I don't want to kill them because I don't like spiders. And I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I, I just, I had attempted to go into the shed and I felt like as I was pulling things out, something was on my arm. Does anybody, you talk yourself into it and then all of a sudden the arm, as I'm realizing it's nothing there, I feel like actually it could be anywhere on my body. And then you kind of run over the person and you're like, there's something on me. But what happened is I had to pull everything out onto the lawn. It got messier before there was fruitfulness. Dan, I'll get you to join me on keys. But now I have a usable space. Now I have a place that because of discipline, I can occupy it. In Luke chapter 12, verses 48, now the, con the concept and the context of this scripture is that disciples need to be ready for Christ's return. We do. We need to be ready for the master's return. And the more you know, the more ready you better be. But within this context, there's actually, there's a principle here that, that I want to share with us around discipline. It says this in Luke 12, 48. But the one who does not know and does these things, punishment will be beaten with few blows. But for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And for everyone who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Each disciple is responsible for what they've been given. Your talents, what are you doing with them? Your resources, what are you doing with them? Your knowledge, what are you doing with them? We know Jesus is the hope of the world. Avoiding something that you have the gifting to help, but you just don't want to is not good enough. For much is given, much is expected. I'm preaching to myself. The Scripture tells me I'm going to be held accountable for what I know and for what I've done. And the more I know and the less I do, not great. For unto whoever so much is given of him, much shall be required. The more knowledge a man has, the more practice he is expected. The greater the gifts, the more useful they ought to be. I've got to do something because I know Jesus. You know, Lila's a beautiful little soul. My youngest daughter, she's nine. She loves loves animals and once we were at a pool and we were swimming and there was rumour swelling around the pool that there's a frog and Kiara's Kiara Lila's compassionate heart was that I've got to find this frog and protect this frog and place this frog somewhere where it can be safe and in the pool there's a rock area so she knew exactly where she wanted to go but she was happy swimming until there was knowledge of something in trouble. And then she wasn't happy to be comfortable anymore. She had to find the frog, place the frog, 
And then she saw these other little boys she didn't trust. So then she stayed on guard for the frog. And I'm like, Lila, we're leaving. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm like him and I'm like him. He looks too rough. In my heart, I'm like, it's just a frog. In my heart, I was really like, don't touch the frog. This is me. We all know me. And I've got the sanitizer in my back pocket. Because it's messy. Mess needs compassion. It needs obedience. It needs discipline. It needs us out of our comfort zone. But I'm happy to deal with mess if it means there can be fruitfulness in our lives and in your lives as a follower of Jesus. So don't run from mess. I'm not saying run to mess. What I'm saying is don't avoid it. If it comes and you know the Holy Spirit is asking you, don't avoid it. Walk in it faithfully. So I have some questions. Because our time is gone. I want you to understand that mess is the price for fruitfulness. Mess is the price for fruitfulness. So here is a question I want you to ask yourself. What situations have I been avoiding because it's just too messy? Just think about it. What conversation should you have had? It's not too late. What attitude should you address in your own heart? What person should you go and apologize to? What person should you go and pray for? Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Holy Spirit, I pray for those people that you've already revealing a situation to. Give them the words. Give them the timing. Give them the strength to follow you obediently. Another question that I would like for you to pray and ponder is ask the Holy Spirit, where is a situation that I need to put others first? I think we need to constantly challenge that in our life. We need to put others first. Following Jesus is an others-centered call. But that's where you find life, in obeying call of God so how can I follow Jesus' example by if I am called to a scenario by default that means I'm called to serve it so ask the Holy Spirit what situation do you need to put others first in and where can you be serving it and thirdly where is there a need that I know of but because of my own personal lack of discipline, I haven't done anything yet. And go and help. Because you need to participate. Now that you know, you should serve. Much is given, much is required. So why don't we stand and invite the rest of the band to come if possible. I want to sing the third song. Um, if you bring the lyrics up, Mal, for um, the atmosphere is changing now because the Spirit of the Lord is here.
I want to declare messy situations will change because God's calling you to play your role, to be an influence in the way God calls you. He's the hope of the world. We found Him. We have Him. We're not lost, we're found. We're not defeated, we've won. But from our place of peace with God through Jesus, we're called to go into the world and make disciples. That means walk with people however they are. But I believe two things. I believe God is calling people to scenarios and they're going to shift because you're now being obedient. And you know the people that need prayer in those scenarios. And the second thing is that there's going to be a new authority that comes on your life because you now walk in obedience. So Father, right now, we pray for every person in this room. If you have a scenario right now that the Holy Spirit's brought to your heart and you just feel you need strength from God, why don't you lift your hands high and I'm going to pray. Father, right now, for all those people that are lifting their hands, lift them high. Lift them high. Father, we're desperate for You. Father, we need You to move. And Father, right now, across this place with all the hands that are raised, Father, I pray for supernatural strength to come in a circumstance that we won't run, but rather we won't avoid, but with wisdom and authority and the Holy Spirit's direction, we will give words of wisdom. We will give words of knowledge. We will stand strong. We will call out. We will be obedient because we love You, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that we never become a comfortable church. Father, let us be a church that, that as a metaphor, you have to watch your handbag because there are people on a journey finding hope finding community and finding love because of a community of active Christians who will serve and love one another. Father, we repent for where we've been. Like the Pharisee who saw the Good Samaritan and and it was too messy. We crossed the road. We love You, Jesus. We're heading to Your place, but we're walking past things we shouldn't because they're too messy. Father, I'm sorry. Father, help us not to be so busy we don't have time to care. Father, help us to be driven, but not driven for ourselves, but driven by love. Father, help that to be our lives as individual and our lives as community. In Jesus' name, amen.